Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, hello, it's me, Chris. Um, how are we? Today, we are chatting to none other than friend of the show, I'm going to say Lottie Jeffs and Stu Oakley. They are hosts of the Gay to Z podcast, also the authors of the Gay to Z book, all about LGBTQ plus parenting. And it's all about the realities of modern families. And Lottie is a queer parent via IUI and Stu Oakley is a gay dad via adoption. And we chat all about it because they've written a book, which is basically a little A to Z, uh, get it? Um, which is a little A to Z of how to become a parent as a queer person, how to navigate parenting as a queer person. I have found it very useful myself on my own little journey. And do you know what they do beautifully is they simplify. And what's really interesting about becoming a parent as a queer person is everybody gets in your DMs asking you questions about how to do it or they're doing it this way and is this right and is that right? There isn't really many central resources for this stuff. So this parenting book feels like it brings into a lot of places. And what I love about it is it something that maybe you might not feel you want to do, but then if you read the book, you're like, hmm, okay, things suddenly got a little simpler. Uh, so I'm very grateful for them to them for taking the time to write this book, and actually it's doing really well. They're, they're on Steph's Pack Lunch the other day, or is it coming up? I can't remember. Anyway, it's all happening. Um, so that's what's happening today. I hope you've been keeping up to date with all our Pride episodes, people. We've chatted to Riyadh Kalaf about ADHD. We were talking to Tom Allen and Susie Raffle for our little Pride crossover. We've spoken to Ollie and Dan from I Kissed a Boy. It is an extravaganza, if I do say so myself. Um, so get them all. They're on the feed. They are literally free. Um, email us at hello at homosapienspodcast.com and let us know your news and feedback on the episodes. Agony Uncles, you know, all the stuff. Uh, very exciting episode next week. I'll tell you more about that in the outro. In the meantime, here's um, my lovely chat with Lottie and Stu. Stu's gone to get his cup of tea. I've got my cup of tea here. Do you know what's in my cup of tea? You've got wine yeah. in your mug. Yeah, I've got carver. Oh, oh, that is a dream. That's the Australian dream right there, Chris. We're, you see, we're, <laughs> business, we're, we're talking on different time zones. So I'm at the end of my day. And you two are my little treat at the end of the day of, end of a day of work. So, oh, um, nice. I've had a cashew nut. Um, I know we're not allowed to eat on this podcast. So I've done that pre. Um <laughs> 
that's definitely banned. Have you been um, told off before, Chris? Is that oh, what's happened? It was a whole thing for like a year. And then because we just d- disobeyed and then I gave in. And actually, you know what? <laughs> My figure thanks me for it. What? Um, I shouldn't say things like that. Uh, Lottie, have you got anything that's um, alcoholic or not? Or what's your drink? <laughs> No, I mean, it is only half 10 in the morning and I'm actually saving myself for the street party, which is apparently going to be happening on my road in a, in a matter of hours. There's some very, very keen um, royalists on my street, apparently. So the bunting's going up. The There's a tent. Someone at number 22 is going to be doing some karaoke. It's all happening. So Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'll pop down. I mean, it's quite fun because they close off the street and kids can run around and it's it's sweet. It's quite a, quite old fashioned and like wholesome. Um, but I probably won't start talking to anyone about the actual royal family. <laughs> well, that's what's quite it. nice about it. It's because it, we had it yes, we we did a little picnic yesterday for the college because the kids absolutely loved it. And it's like trying to separate that thing of feeling very uneasy about the whole royal thing and people starving etc but on the other hand kids just loving it and just enjoying it and enjoying like and trying to see it through their eyes a bit yes they can't got my royal mug with me today i've got my (laughs) the diana diana's allowed weirdly um it's diana and charles uh turn it that way Mm -hmm. um but uh because so listeners we're recording this the day after charles's coronation but it's a little bit later now but i do have a question um because it's for everybody so why why did the coronation party happen the day after the coronation? Why isn't the picnic? Why wasn't the picnic yesterday or whatever it is? The parties? Why weren't they yesterday during the coronation? I think because everyone was watching it yesterday. I think they spread it out. I think that's how they because I remember, didn't they do that for the wedding one year? It was like you do you watch the wedding on one day and then the next day you have fabulous street parties and then tonight right. is the concert. And then I love tomorrow, apparently, King Charles has told his subjects to go out and volunteer in the community. Oh, That's I what Bank Holiday Monday is about. I've, I've got to like, say, I was a little bit kind yeah. of... Yeah. Not what I needed to be told by a member exactly. of the world Go yeah. fuck yourself. Yeah, no, no. But, I mean, if they know how to do one thing, it's to throw a fabulous three-day party. So let's give them props for that, if anything. Well... Yes, exactly. Now, um, here's, here's a really very relevant question. A re the party. So you two have written this amazing book about parenting, queer parenting, right? Do, is it just me? <laughs> or I find, because I'm a parent as well, I find when I go to those kinds of things, which are quite like heteronormative, I feel like I'm in a weird simulation of an alternate dimension. <laughs> I can't help myself but be like, it's so ingrained in me not to be there and not to do those things. Do you know what I mean? And I find it I find it really hard to square the circle, which is that for whatever reason, I am a gay parent at this event and everyone else is straight. Not everyone else, but a lot of other people are straight. And I'm not used to being in those spaces in a heteronormative, I'm used to being in those spaces because that's every day you get on the tube, but like in a way that is perhaps more heteronormative. Mm. I feel like a lot of what you've just said is kind of in, and I mean this in the nicest way, Chris, but like it's in your head. Yes. Yes. Like, that, I, I completely is agree. That you're probably through like 
years and decades of sort of being made to feel other. <clears throat> Sorry, you can hear my daughter screaming in the background. Okay. Yeah, she's got opinions uh, on this. After years of being made to feel like that, it's inevitable that you that you might feel like that. But I think something that me and Stu are like really keen to kind of get across with our book and with you know all of the work we do around queer parenting is to kind of make people feel a bit more at ease with themselves in situations and a bit more like whose child's that confident in themselves as parents and not hyper aware of themselves as gay parents because I think Mm -hmm. you can kind of talk yourself out of situations and you can start creating narratives in your head where you're like everyone's looking at me I they're judging me I'm the only queer parent here on the whole I would say wouldn't use to you that like in most of those heteronormative parenting situations everybody's totally fine like Mm. people on the whole kind of used to it nobody's really judging you any more than they're judging any other parent and let's face it there is always judgment but I don't think and maybe I'm naive but I don't think it's because of your sexuality Mm. yeah I it's totally I think it's in your head but don't we do that as gay people parents or not as queer people we we I think project a certain well some people do some people don't but I I for one am very much like even if I haven't got the kids there I can find myself uncomfortable in a situation because I am like are people judging me for that is it 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 just it's all woven into that sense of gay shame isn't it and feeling different or other which you know goes through our head and I think having a family and having kids in that situation just makes you feel slightly more vulnerable and gives it a different a different level of feeling unease I think yeah and I think it's like on the whole I do think it's in my head because I don't think there's a there's a model for it so you're used to being out on a limb you know and genuinely you know you doing this book for example is is things we needed 150 years ago I think for me it's like it's not a bad thing because I'm like I'm used to being in certain kinds of spaces, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. And I'm like, Mm. you know, and actually also I will say that people come up to me with our daughter and and they say, like, where did you get her? And I'm like, okay, um, you know. Like she was in uh, the sale at like (laughs) Astor or something. (laughs) Or like. (laughs) Or at least Waitrose, you know. Yeah, like where did you you get her? I'm like, what like and I'm always super lovely to people like I'm Mm. like oh you know um you know nice explanation um how do you how do you phrase it in like a really because often in those situations you're in a really short like (laughs) it's not like you're sitting down at a dinner table having like a nice conversation it is generally in those moments where it's like bang where did you get her and then it feels like you have to kind of explain yourself in five seconds I I feel like I will go. So someone said to me once, like, and you know, I see what you two think, but like, it's their story to tell. So I'm like, you know, and also like, they've come with an assumption that she was acquired somehow. You know what I mean? So there's, mm. you know, they've had a little chat with themselves about what it is, and then they are trying to be nice. Uh, they are trying to be nice, you know. So. I'll just kind of swerve it because I'm not getting into like, you know, all this stuff about the detail because then I've got to clarify and then this is going to be a really long conversation. You know what I mean? So I'll be like, oh, you know, she's she's one, blah, blah, you know, and I'll just kind of swerve it because I can't. Yeah, go on. Lottie's, Lottie's well, thumbing she's through, her, through her book. This is amazing. <laughs> back to the book. But we do have a chapter in the book 
that is exactly for this and it's called chapter w so the book is written as an a to z and w is for who's the real mum and other awful questions and we actually give um ideas for how to answer some of the worst things so some of the worst um things that we or uh people (laughs) that we spoke to for the book have been asked shall i read some out please please one is who's the real dad or who's the real mum then to a lesbian couple was it an artificial pregnancy where did you get your baby so obviously you're not okay yours is in there um, and then for lesbians, do you know much about the father? Or I guess that could also be adoptive parents as well might get that. Such yep. a shame the mum couldn't look after them when it comes to adoption. Um, somebody had, had this said to them, what, so you can just buy a baby daddy now in terms of wow. using a sperm donor? And then I think this one might resonate for you, Chris, people saying with sort of, you know, very genuine concern, oh, it must be so hard for the surrogate to give up her baby. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, just, yeah. So we've actually, if you get the book, come up with some lines to answer these kind of questions in a way that is firm but respectful and helps the other person reframe their question. So you almost like say the question back to them, but in a better way. So you're not making, you know, we don't want to make people feel stupid. We want to, we want to have conversations. We're happy to have conversations. People need to learn, but yeah. they also need a bit of help so they don't ask someone that obtuse question ever again, basically. Mm. So um, what would be your advice to, I'm standing there with a turkey sandwich at a coronation party. I was going to say something else when it relates to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> to queer parenting <laughs> I was like where's he going yeah, your coronation you... <laughs> turkey baster oh no right. it's on budget <laughs> um and 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 someone says where did you get her how should I have handled that because I clearly handled it badly yeah okay Stu yeah. I mean I don't know about you but I would I would phrase it with like if what you meant to ask was how did we have our daughter then the answer is actually that we used a surrogate and then I might like explain a little bit about that relationship and stress that the surrogate is if this is the case still an important part of your family life and just do a little bit of education but saying like if what you meant to ask was this is quite a good technique because it's like throwing it back to them to have to do a little bit more work in like rethinking what the question should Mm. have been without saying mm. that's a really rude question you should never ask that it's also refer it's it's looking at the situation as well and like with so many other things knowing what their intent is and knowing like why are they going there why are they pushing it are they just someone who is genuinely interested and potentially has worded it in the wrong way or are they just a complete idiot who's trying to push your buttons like mm. and yeah. i think or do that they have an agenda also, like yeah. some people have got it in their head that they're really against surrogacy and they're almost like looking for an opportunity to have their narrative confirmed or have their views confirmed. So obviously, if you get the sense it's someone like that, I feel like you don't owe them anything. You don't have to explain yourself to them. You can just walk away. I think often yeah. as queer people, we feel like burdened with 
having to do all of the work for other people and I think it's nice and useful to remind yourself that you don't and you can just walk away from Mm -hmm. a situation like you don't have to change everybody's mind you don't have to fix people you can just walk away and to add to that as well it's not necessarily we're not saying it's you know cishet straight people that are doing that either it's other people potentially within the queer community oh yeah and I think that's one thing, you know, from from our days of doing the podcast through to the book is the one thing that we both have loved so much about pulling this all together as a spectrum of parenting and a spectrum of queerness is learning about each other's ways to parenthood. Like, Chris, I know really mm. well. I do now because I've written the book, but before I knew nothing about surrogacy and I so I wouldn't know anything. So you could both say that we're both we're both gay dads. We're both, you know, we're both parents, but our journey to that is so completely different in so many ways, but so similar in other ways. Mm. So I think it's trying to help each other understand how we as a community become a family as well. And I mean, I used to say that Lottie was, um, had her, her daughter through surrogacy. That's how, like, I suppose, naive or ignorant I was to it right in the very early days because I didn't really understand what IUI donor conception was and I didn't understand how lesbians had babies so I was wrongly calling it surrogacy I I, I think in my brain I knew it wasn't surrogacy but it would just roll off the tongue and it was after saying it about three times that Lottie had to be like you've said it again like let's like (laughs) nip this in the bud now shall we but it was it's that education for the community as well I think Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Lottie, tell me about uh, the amount that you're comfortable with talking about. Um, tell me about how you became a parent and then Stu, tell me about you becoming a parent because they're very, very different. Yeah, they are. So um, back in, I think, 2017, my wife and I decided that we wanted to start a family. It was a conversation that we'd been having for a couple of years. I think we were slightly on different pages in the journey to deciding I think I always knew I wanted to have kids and I think she needed to take a bit longer to get to that point I think she had a little bit more residual gay shame I don't think she'd mind me saying like Mm. attached to her and her relationship which I think can hold you back whereas I like came out at 16 
no problems no issues like so I think for me and maybe this is an interesting point like for me because of that I was always quite straightforward about well wanting to have kids and doing it however I need to do it whereas I think if you've had a more complicated journey to being out or being in a queer relationship maybe you have more complicated feelings about becoming a parent because of that so eventually we we got to the same place which was great and we decided to choose a donor which is a really good fun experience actually um so obviously it's not just queer people looking for sperm donors if you're doing surrogacy you might need to look for an egg donor as well yeah. as a surrogate so it's a really interesting experience because it forces you to talk with your partner about what's important in terms of somebody's characteristics or genes um and there's a crossover there with adoption as well which maybe Stu will talk about in terms of having to make a decision about the kind of with adoption you're having to make a decision about the kind of child or their, their needs that you might be willing or not willing to take with choosing a donor you're choosing eye color hair color you know you have to be quite harsh about people you can't be like oh I don't want to hurt their feelings you know they sound lovely you just have to be like they're not for me and we made decisions in the end um, through this sperm bank, through listening to people's voices, because we found yes. that actually their voices, we, I think we're both quite um, good judges of character anyway, but I felt like I could just tell the person through their voice straight away. So I was like, mm. they sound weird, they sound nice, they sound old, like really old, they sound really young, they sound like a kid. Um, and so eventually we found someone we were just she's like, very judgy I, <laughs> yeah i want the notes i, I want the list of notes time when you really have to be judgy you do um so we found someone that we both just really instinctively felt was brilliant and um so chose the donor got the sperm shipped to the clinic and then um my wife did iui which for listeners that don't know is it's almost the most the closest thing to natural conception so if you think IVF the conception happens in a test tube or petri dish or whatever where they um, artificially insert the sperm into the egg with IUI you're just having the sperm inserted into you at the optimum time of the month so um, there's no sort of science or medical procedures involved beyond it. People always called it the turkey baster method, which I've got to say, I'd really like to outlaw because it's quite offensive, like, and also quite gross. The thought of all these lesbians going around with like a kitchen utensil trying to impregnate <laughs> each other. <laughs> um, well, it's also, no, the, uh, yeah, it's sort of like the backstreetification of anything that isn't mm. a man and a woman, right? Exactly. So um, it, amazingly, it worked for my wife. And, you know, two weeks later, positive pregnancy test and everything from there on was really straightforward. So that is my journey to becoming a parent. What I should also quickly add is to anyone listening, thinking, oh, it's all right for some. I've been going through it. That's just so annoying and easy for them, is that I then tried um to conceive and had the complete opposite experience where it didn't work spent loads and loads of money um kept trying and trying repeated failures um and then eventually gave up <laughs> so um i'm kind of in this unique position of having experienced 
you know, the best possible outcome and also the worst possible outcome. Mm. That really helped in writing the book to be able to have those shared perspectives. And when it didn't work for you, like, how did that make you feel? It was funny because throughout the journey, I became more and more invested in it. I think at first I was slightly like, oh, I'm not even sure if I really want this anyway. And at first I was thinking, oh, well, I've still got another two goes. You know, I've said to myself, I'd try IUI three times. So I've got another two goes. And then once it got to that, I I thought I was never going to do IVF. It just felt like too much stress and too medical. But then, of course, after three goes of IUI, I was really invested in the experience and I didn't want to give it up. So then I tried IVF and then you get invested in that because it's so kind of involved and you're having to inject yourself and get... Mm really know your body and have all these scans and stuff so you kind of get sucked into it so the final time when I had a positive pregnancy result and then the following day I had a phone call from the clinic saying it actually wasn't positive um that was the moment that I realized I just needed to stop trying because it was becoming well for a start too expensive and then also um a little bit too emotionally draining I would say I felt a strange kind of grief it's it's not a loss in the sense that there was ever anything there to lose it's not like a a miscarriage where there's some physical losing of something it's Mm -hmm. like you didn't have something you did a thing and at the end of it you still didn't have something and yet there's still a grief for the thing that you never had so I would say it took a while for me to overcome that, but I don't think I felt the depths of grief that I would have felt were it a baby loss or a miscarriage. I think it it was easier in that respect. But I did I did feel really low for a while and um and then I kind of just threw myself into kind of trying to get fit is what I did like mm. running seeing a personal trainer and just feeling good about my body again and I just made a very conscious decision to be okay and that's what I've done yeah. but you know it's really interesting to hear you say that because um it's not it's you know it's not uh I it's not what's it called like trauma olympics you know what I mean like it just because mm. it wasn't a thing doesn't mean you know, you'd be an android if you hadn't imagined what this life could have been. You know what of I mean? Course, this, yeah. this little person. And you feel that loss because you'd built up all this hope. And I can really relate to that idea. Like you once you get into this, like how is a baby made stuff, which is as a queer parent, if you're doing like surrogacy or RUI or whatever, you end up learning all the science, right? Mm-hmm. And you it becomes tiny little stages. And I've had really, really close friends my sister but really really close friends who have done the whole RUI IVF thing and it's like trying to thread a needle from seven foot away and there's all these people helping you and some of it's NHS and then you have to you have to pay for bits in and around it but um it's a big thing it takes over your life and so mm-hmm. you know it's yeah, totally and there was no NHS for us because we already had a kid we wouldn't have qualified for any NHS treatment even though it was me that's so interesting because 
Stu, sorry, I will come to you in a sec, but um, it's so important because I, f- I feel like a lot of gay men get covered with parenting and I don't feel like queer women and beyond do as much. So if you don't mind, I'd just love to ask you another couple of questions because what was the NHS element for someone who's listening who's like, I'm a queer woman, I'd like to try? Well, I would say, like, go to your GP and ask, but don't expect them to know the answer. Like, I think when I went to the GP, my my GP got in such a muddle about it and had never been asked before and ended up downloading some PDF and printing it out and giving it to me. And I read this sort of stock information. It was so hard to make sense of. But what I concluded from reading this document was that because we had previously had a child that I wouldn't qualify for NHS treatment and maybe that's fair enough like of course they should prioritize people that don't already have a child in their family and I know the law has changed but if I'm really honest I don't really understand if it is actually going to be any easier for lesbian couples like I certainly in my friendship group have not I I know a good number of people who have been trying to get pregnant and I don't know a single person who's been offered the treatment on the NHS so for whatever reason like it continues to be complicated and difficult for for queer women to access fertility treatment on the NHS. Mm. I just wanted to add about the emotional element as well that I don't think people I don't think queer people going into fertility treatments really kind of get their head around because I think when a lesbian couple go to have IVF or have reached a stage where IUI has not worked or like Lottie and her wife are in that situation you think it can happen whereas if a straight couple's going to a clinic to have IVF they have been trying they have been trying and trying and trying and they know that they have fertility problems Mm -hmm. whereas I think for a, a lesbian or even a gay man which is not something we actually have covered but in the sense of you know not everyone's sperm works and you go into the clinic thinking that that's going to happen. So then the shock and the realisation that, oh, you know what, actually, you can't, you're not fertile or you you do have fertility issues is a whole other thing that you have to kind of get your head around because you're in a stage where you think it's going to happen for you. Yeah, totally. You think, right, we've decided we're going to go and have a baby now. We're going to pay the money. Mm. We paid the money. Therefore, uh, go, it's going to work. <laughs> and so to yes. find out then that it's not is um yeah it, it's it does choose right it does make it harder I think so I I think that is a good piece of advice for people listening thinking that they want to have children is to kind of go into it thinking let's go like the first thing we need to do is see if we're fertile and like check that out first because yeah. no you don't you don't know that and this is um this is me being really honest I also because we had to do like fertility tests both me and William and I just didn't think mine would work I was like I don't think I was for whatever reason I was like I just don't think my sperm will be working sperm and then you do a test and it is and I was like oh I why did you if that... think that that's so interesting all the I cups of it's... carver <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> blanking it out <laughs> trust me I mean it's amazing uh it that they're swimming in the right direction I think it was an internalized homophobia that like something to do with not feeling like a real man. That's what the conversation yeah, I had at the time. Seems like it. Yeah. Like I was like, yeah. oh, I find that really interesting that I sort of thought that yeah. Don't know. It's I almost like I... you're so gay that the idea that your sperm might actually be able to do something like apparently societally yeah. deemed heterosexual. 
Yeah. I think I feel the same, actually. I've never, and I've never, because of the way that we became parents, I've never even checked my fertility. So I have no idea. But it's weird. I've always had that same thought that you said, Chris. Like, I've always just thought, well, actually, I, I bet... I bet if we checked, I probably wouldn't have been able to. I don't know. It's a like weird... your actual swimmers are gay, and they're all like, "Oh no, thank you." No, <laughs> like synchronized. No, in there. Stay outside. <laughs> yeah. Stay on the sun loungers. Um... <laughs> Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Powered by Spirit Studios.